turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. That hymn is a great prayer. More about Jesus. We want to learn and grow in our learn more about Jesus and grow in our knowledge of Him. Uh, a wonderful prayer to pray. Uh, something that we all certainly need. And hopefully, in our reflections this morning on uh, this passage of Scripture before us, we will learn more uh, about Jesus and be encouraged in our faith. We pray that God would do so in our lives. We're continuing our study of Acts chapter eight and. Where we are is that uh, we have seen the church growing within Jerusalem, but then a, a great persecution breaks out against the church, and people are driven into the surrounding areas, into Judea. And last week we saw how the gospel went uh, not only into Judea, but out into the, out into the region known as Samaria. Uh, and, and that uh, cultural divide was bridged between Jews and Samaritans who did not associate with one another. So there was a great... Uh, a conversion of the Samaritans going on. And then we come to uh, the passage before us today, and a very interesting passage. Uh, there's, uh, you know, it's true that we all have affinity for certain passages of Scripture. This is one of those passages that I have a great affinity for. I love this story, and I'm so encouraged by it, and I, and I hope that you will be uh, as, well, as well today. Let us hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would open our ears and hearts to your word this morning. We uh, have come into your presence with uh, praise, uh, thinking about uh, your greatness and mercy. We have come confessing our sins to you, uh, experiencing that forgiveness and cleansing that comes through Christ. Lord, we have responded to you uh, with our offerings and with praise and with thanksgiving. And now, Lord, we, we want to hear from you. 
We pray that You would speak to us in Your Word. Lord, You know our needs better than we know ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that You would help us to receive what we need to be better followers of Jesus Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. Well, the passage before us today is the first individual conversion recorded for us in the book of Acts. Up until this point in our study of the Acts of the Apostles, we have only read of large groups of people being converted to Christianity. Here we have the details of an individual's conversion to Christ, this Ethiopian eunuch. Who was this man? Uh, Verses 27 and 28 introduce us to him and give us several details about him. First, he was an Ethiopian. Uh, He was from Africa. Ethiopia encompassed what is now, uh, now southern Egypt. It's not really where Ethiopia is today, which is a little further south, but it was a kingdom that was in southern Egypt and northern Sudan, what is now northern Sudan. In ancient literature, Ethiopians were considered to be living at the end of the earth, uh, the, the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire. And so just as Jesus told the disciples, they have been uh, his witnesses to Jerusalem, uh, Judea and Samaria, as we saw the last couple of weeks, and now to the ends of the earth. Well, of course, the gospel is going to go beyond Ethiopia, and it's going to cover the entire globe. But what happens here on this lonely desert road is a significant fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen. Now, being from Africa, we also know that he was a black man. The word Ethiopia is a Greek word that literally means uh, scorched face. It's uh, the Greeks, how they describe the Ethiopians. It was a great kingdom, uh, Ethiopia, one of the earliest kingdoms on the face of the planet. And still to this day, uh, a large number of Christians in Ethiopia. Of course, we know a lot about Ethiopia from the news and the famine and the trouble that uh, going on there. But uh, a great cradle of civilization existed there, a great kingdom. So he was uh, an Ethiopian from Africa, and the text also tells us that he was a eunuch, a man who had been castrated. Now Derek Thomas wrote in his commentary about this, in some countries a commoner might elect to become a eunuch and therefore be surgically altered in order to serve in the royal palace. The reason was that eunuchs ensured sexual fidelity. Sometimes there is the suggestion that such alteration enhanced single-hearted loyalty. Such men traded the hope of family for wealth, security, and a status among the elite. However, eunuchs could never attain the status of royalty and were always servants, even if wealthy ones. So this particular uh, eunuch this Ethiopian eunuch, was in the service of uh, the queen mother of Ethiopia. Uh, The word Candace, or the term Candace, is not a proper name. Uh, It is a uh, throne name. It's what the queen mother of Ethiopia was always referred to. It's a a word that refers to the the dynasty. So he was in charge, it tells us here, of all her treasure. So what an important man, a very trusted and valuable member of the queen mother's 
uh, regime or household. He was important. He was the equivalent of the Secretary of the Treasury of the United States of America. You know, I, I looked it up to see who it was, and uh, apparently he's just been appointed in the last year. I'd never heard of him. But it's obviously an important position. You're Secretary of the Treasury. Well, this man was important as well. And we know that he was also wealthy because of his great position. He's riding around in a chariot, verse 28 tells us. And that was a sign of great wealth. Common people didn't have chariots. It wasn't like uh, having a car today. Only the wealthy, only very special and important people rode around in chariot. So we've got this important, wealthy African who had come to Jerusalem, it tells us, to worship. He was a Gentile, possibly the first Gentile convert. And he had come into contact probably with Judaism through his work uh, trading in commerce. There was a Jewish military settlement in Aswan, Egypt, which would have been just north of the capital where he would have been living. And so he may have come into contact and, and become enamored with uh, the Jewish religion. Well, he was enamored with it. He was so enamored with it that he travels 1,400 miles in a chariot to go to Jerusalem to worship. That's some serious dedication. We've got some people who won't travel across town to come to worship. This man goes 1,400 miles to travel to worship. Why would he do that? What would motivate him to go through all this uh, travel, this long distance on this desert road to come to the temple to, to worship? You know, we see here that he's reading from Isaiah the prophet. Possibly... Uh, you know, we know he's reading there in, uh, in the passage, Isaiah 53. Maybe he had already read a couple of chapters later in Isaiah 56, where it tells us, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What a great promise to a, to a eunuch. Here's a man, a foreign man, a eunuch. He had been castrated in order to have the honor of serving in the queen's house, to have a, a position of wealth and authority. He was obviously an ambitious man because we see that he's gone to a, a very great length that most men would not want to go to in order to have a job. But this man has gone to that great length. So he, is, he has a great ambition. However, the position and wealth and name he had gained for himself was going to end one day. You know, he was going to die, and he had no offspring. Uh, he only had his work as it was. And maybe he was beginning to think about that. Think about that end. Think about that he's leaving nothing behind. Yes, he had made a name for himself, uh, but being a, a eunuch meant that his name would not be carried on by his children. And I think he was probably regretting that situation. He had gone to extreme lengths and made bold sacrifices 
to get to where he was. But now he finds that it is not all that he had hoped. And isn't that the way it always is? You know, we think there are things that we cannot live without. We, we spend our energy, we sacrifice greatly to achieve certain things in our lives. If we think if, if we just had that position or had that possession, that our lives would be great and worth living. And then we do. We, we might achieve that position or gain that position. But then we grow disappointed or disenchanted with it. Now, I remember one time, and I'll, Sarah gets mad at me when I tell this story, but uh, we, we bought a car. You know, we shopped, and we were living in England, we shopped around for a car, and we found a minivan. You know, we had four children, so we had to pack them all in, and we found a great car, and a nice-looking uh, Ford minivan. And as soon as we got it, uh, Sarah said, I, I wish we'd gotten the one with the black door handles. You know, it's like, th- th- that's the door handle. I mean, we just, anyway... You know, we, we had finally achieved that place where we finally got a car, could go, but, uh, it just, you know, once we had it, it wasn't that great. I mean, it could be a Ferrari, and you get a Ferrari and, and, uh, you drive it, and then after a while, it's not that great anymore. So, you know, it's not just her, it's all of us. You know, we think if we, if we could just achieve that position in the company, and we get there, and it's really not that big of a deal once we have it. I wonder if the Ethiopian was going through this common, uh, common human uh, experience of being disappointed with the, the creature things, the things of this world, the things that uh, are, are not lasting and eternal. So he's here, seeking for something more. But look at what the prophet Isaiah says. Let not the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You can see why this man was excited about what Isaiah had written. What a promise for this man. And he goes on in verse 7 of Isaiah 56. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So he's coming to Jerusalem with this understanding and this promise of Isaiah 56 that says, yes, when I come to the temple, when I come to the, to the house of prayer, I'm going to experience joy. And I'm going to have my offerings and sacrifices accepted. He's got this promise. And so he travels 1,400 miles to Jerusalem because he wants an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. But then he gets to Jerusalem. And we don't know what happened there, but I'm sure he was excited as he as he rode through the gates of the city, and as he approached the temple complex there in the heart of the city. But what kind of reception would this man have received when he came to the temple? Of course, he's certainly a sight to see. Uh, An African coming into Jerusalem riding on a chariot with servants and attendants around him. 
Well, there is the distinct possibility that he was not allowed to worship at all. Deuteronomy 23, God's law forbids eunuchs from even entering the assembly of the Lord. Now that passage possibly refers to those who were emasculated ritually in the worship of other gods. So it it might not have applied to our eunuch because he was obviously not worshiping other gods. And that's not the reason that he was castrated in the first place. But at best, when he came to the temple, he would not have been able to enter any closer than the court of Gentiles. If you have ever seen a a plan of the temple, uh, there are courts, and depending on who you are, uh, that that, uh, dictated how close to the heart of worship you were able to get on the very edge of the temple, on the outside of actually the building, to, uh, the building of the temple, that was the court of Gentiles. Gentiles could not go any further than that. Once you walk through the doors of the temple, that was the court of women. Women could not go beyond that. A little further in was the was the court of Israel, where Jewish laymen could go. And then, even further on in, was the court of priests, where only the clergy could go. And then at the very center, the very heart, behind a a very thick, large linen curtain was the very center, the Holy of Holies. And only one man, once a year, was able to enter there. And that is where God was. That is where God's throne was, the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And the high priest was allowed to go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. Well, this man was way on the outside, way out on the edges. He would not have been allowed to come in. He would have been excluded, not included. And he may not have been able to get that far because he was a eunuch. And now we find him on this lonely desert road heading back to Ethiopia, 1,400 miles laying ahead of him. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah 53, it tells us, chapter 53. Now, why is he reading this particular passage? Verse 32 of Acts 8 tells us exactly the words that he was reading. He probably was reading out loud. That was the custom of the day. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? This is a a bit of speculation on my part, but I wonder if he is reading this passage because he identifies with the person described in these verses. He's obviously not been uh, led to the slaughter, but he would have known what it's like to be denied, what it was like to, to have no generation. He's a eunuch. He's not going to have a generation. When he dies, his life, all that he has gained is going to be taken from the earth like it was taken from this man, whoever it was that he's reading about here in Isaiah 53. Yes, he can, he can identify with this person that he's reading about. But to whom is the prophet Isaiah referring? Well, let's leave him there in that quandary for just a moment with that, with that question hanging in his head. Who is this person who has suffered and who has been excluded and rejected. And let's turn our attention to Philip, the second 
person in our story. Philip had been preaching in Samaria to great crowds and and his preaching was well received. There were a great many converts there to Christ in the city of Samaria. And I'm sure that there was much work to be done amongst the Samaritans. But the angel of the Lord gives him an odd order. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Luke tells us a little footnote. This is a desert place. And the word south there, you know, go down, go toward the south, it can also be translated as noon. Or you could translate the verb, go down at noon to this desert road. So what he's doing here, what he's being asked to do is to leave great crowds who are responding to his preaching, and he's, he's called by an angel, by the Spirit, to go to a desert area where there's not going to be anybody, especially if it's noon, because nobody travels in the heat of the day. They didn't have air conditioners. And there's a, the likelihood that there's not going to be anybody on this road. Why is he leaving all these people who are responding to the gospel and going to this place where there's no one there? But Philip obeys. And what does he see? He sees a chariot with a person who is obviously out of place, certainly surrounded by servants there on this road back down south. And he's told to approach the chariot, and as he does, he hears the words of Isaiah the prophet. And at that moment, he realizes why the Lord had him come out to this lonely desert road so he could tell this lonely desert of a man the good news of Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. About whom is the prophet speaking? The eunuch asks Philip. And I mean, that's about as great a lead-in as you can get to, to share the gospel with someone. He can tell them all about Jesus. And maybe it was something like this. Maybe it was he, Philip told uh, the, the eunuch something along these lines. Maybe he said, Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth but was despised and rejected by people. He was unjustly crucified, and there on that torturous cross, he experienced something worse than even the physical abuse he was suffering. There on the cross, as he became sin for us, he was forsaken by his heavenly Father. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had from all eternity never been excluded from the fellowship of His heavenly Father. The Trinity from all eternity had a perfect loving relationship. It's mysterious. I can't explain it. But He would have never known a moment when He was cut off or excluded from that loving fellowship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But He was cut off. He was excluded so that people like us, People like the Ethiopian eunuch would not have to be cut off or excluded. His work there was demonstrated by the tearing of the, the curtain of the temple from top to bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that, that kept everybody out of the Holy of Holies was torn in two. Symbolic that now the way was open to have fellowship with God that anyone could walk right into the Holy of Holies, right into the very place where God meets man. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man, bringing them together through Him 
we can come into His presence, never to be excluded again. The Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice for His people and brought Him back from the dead to show it. Because He lives forever, all who call upon Him for salvation will live forever. And only Christ can give us an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's what Isaiah 53 is talking about. That's who he's referring to. Well, this is the good news that Philip told the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian eunuch responded in such a poignant manner. I love it when you read verse 36. Look at 36. He's he's heard all this about Jesus and, and the good news and even though he has probably experienced exclusion and rejection at the temple, now he goes, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. That is so significant, because baptism symbolizes something that this man wanted. You know, we often think of baptism uh, in the sense of it uh, cleansing from sin, and that's certainly the case. Uh, we are washed with water. Uh, it shows uh, that we are cleansed and forgiven our sins, washed and made new. Uh, it, it also refers to our regeneration, that we're, we're brought to life. But something else that it, uh, that it symbolizes is our inclusion in the covenant community. When we baptize someone, we're saying they're part of the, the, the church of Christ. They are engrafted, united to Christ. They are brought in to the people of God. So when we baptize someone, we are, they're becoming members of the church. And look, the, the, the eunuch had been rejected. He had been excluded. And now he hears the good news and he says, I want to be included. I want to have this baptism. I want to become part of the covenant community. I want to be one of the people of God. And, he, and, he, and that's exactly what happens. He's baptized. He is included in the people of God. And what does it tell us? You know, Philip, the Spirit carries him off somewhere else. And he goes and carries on with his evangelism. But the eunuch goes on his way rejoicing. The eunuch did not experience the promised joy of Isaiah 56 at the temple, but he experienced it on the road to Gaza as he returned to Ethiopia. Are you experiencing that joy that only Jesus can give when he forgives your sins and brings you into his family, includes you into his family? Or are you seeking the joy uh, that... that uh, Many people look for in worldly things like a position or possessions. Anyone who has achieved these things will tell you that you're not going to find lasting joy in them. Or maybe you feel excluded today. You're on the outside looking in. Yes, people will exclude you, sometimes even in the church, wrongly. But Jesus will not. I had a friend, uh, he was actually the elder of the church that I served in England, and he uh, shares in his testimony of how he became a Christian. He was raised in the church, and uh, he had a lot of doubts, and, and 
you know, wasn't really sure of, of his salvation. And so he met with the pastor of the church where he uh, grew up and attended, a great pastor. And this verse uh, was the verse that really encouraged his heart. And it's this one, John 6:37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That is great news for us. God, in Christ, He will never exclude us if we come to Him. And that's what we're invited to do, to come to Him. The Ethiopian eunuch was invited to come to Him, and he did. And he was not excluded. He was not cast out. And the same is true for us today. Will you embrace Christ? Will you come to Him and be received by Him? That's the promise that we have. May God give us grace to do so. Let's pray.